Morning, guys. If you have your Bibles, please could you open to the book of 1 Timothy. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. As you know, we've been journeying through uh, the book of 1 Timothy, uh, a book written to, uh, to Timothy from Paul. Timothy's a young pastor at a church called Ephesus, the same the same Ephesus that the book of Ephesians is written to. So the same one. And, uh, and Paul writes to this church. Um, he's trying to teach the church, uh, trying to tell Timothy to go and establish a plumb line in this church. Um, so Timothy, as you start building in this church, um, these are the things I want you to have a look at. He's spoken about what the gospel was and said, Timothy, I want you to focus in. This is what gospel you must teach. This is what you must teach men and women about worship. This is what you must teach about leadership in the local church. This is what you must teach about false doctrine in the church. And, and now he's leading into this place of, Timothy, uh, this is what I want you to teach uh, around a, quite a controversial matter, and that's the issue of slavery in the local church. So now, when we think of slavery, slavery back then was not the way slavery is now when we have a look at, um, uh, when we watch TV or when we watch a Discovery series or National Geographic on slavery in, in the modern world or slavery in, um, in the Americas. When we think of slavery like that, it was more like, there it was ships that would come to Africa essentially rape Africa of their people, take them into the Americas or into Europe and, uh, and work them like complete animals until they died. That's the, the evil of slavery that, that we've seen over there. But slavery in the first century was a little bit different. Uh, there were many slaves. One of the commentators said that slavery was, slaves were around about uh, 60 million around in, in the, the Roman Empire, first century, um, right up to 60 million. That's a heap of people. In fact, there were so many slaves in Rome, um, they, they're guessing about one third to a half of Rome were slaves. That's about a million people because there were about two million in Rome. The Senate had decided that all the slaves should wear a specific uniform so you'd be able to see who the slaves were. And when they realized how many slaves were there, they decided that's not a good idea because the slaves would just revolt against the establishment. And so, so that, wasn't, uh, uh, that wasn't something that flew because there were so many Slavery back then, uh, you would, when we think of slavery of recent times, I'm talking in the last 200 years, we, we think of pictures where, where slaves were whipped and beaten, and, uh, and that was a regular thing. And then they were kind of pushed into little makeshift houses and hardly fed. And back in this day, when we were talking about in the first century, slaves were treated better than employees were treated. Um, now, now let's, not, let's not glamorize slavery. It was really terrible. Uh, but here's what would happen. You would buy a slave or you would have a slave and, uh, and you would want that slave to be well because if you sold that slave, he needed to be or she needed to be in good condition. And so you would look after that slave. You'd give that slave a place to stay. You'd give that slave food. You'd make sure that the slave is well clothed because if your slave is clothed badly, it's a reflection on you. So you'd make sure that your slave has got great clothing to wear. An employee, on the other hand, so let's say you're the slaves today, all right? You're the slaves. You're the employees. So the employees, if I was the slave owner, I would pay you a salary. And then off that salary, I would take rent for where you're staying. I would take money for food that I fed you. And I would take money for clothing that I've clothed you. So you pay it all back to me and you leave with very little money. I pay you the same thing, actually, as a slave. 
but I've also provided clothing, a place to stay, and food to eat. And so it was possible for you as a slave to save up some of that money and eventually buy your freedom back from me. Okay? If I was a Jewish slave owner and you were Jewish slaves, every six years I had to let you go free. You were not allowed to keep a slave for more than six years. Now, let's say, for instance, you are employees and, and you owe me some money or you owe somebody else some money and you couldn't get that money. What you could do is you could sell yourself into slavery and then that money would be paid back and you would move across to the slave camp. But now you had to do everything that you were told. Some slave masters were good to their slaves and some slave masters were incredibly evil to their slaves. If a slave ran away, you couldn't pay back and you decided to run away and the slave owner found you, he could carve the letter F in your forehead because that meant fugitive. And everybody who ever saw you knew that you were a runaway who was caught again. So you can understand it was a very evil place. I could even crucify you if I wanted to. I could kill you if I wanted to. I could sell your children if I wanted to. But the culture of the day kind of looked down on that. The culture of the day was like, why would you ever want to crucify a slave? That's kind of like, you know, when you're working in the office and you've got your, your laptop or, or you're doing something at home and, and you're, you, you know, you're, you're trying to hammer in a piece of wood or, or you, you're cutting something on the saw and, and as you cut it on the saw, it cuts skew. I don't know if you've ever had that cut skew or you've measured once and cut once and not measured twice and cut once and then you cut the wrong size piece of wood. Imagine you then take the saw and you throw it outside and you break the motor up and you break the blade and you just you cut the whole saw up with your blowtorch well that's the same as killing a slave why would you kill the slave who's going to do the work for you now is what your neighbors would say and so what happened was people were were although they were really harsh on their slaves and no one wanted to be a slave the slave owners would often think twice before harming a slave enter into this environment Christianity so here comes Christianity where Paul says while he's writing to the Galatian church there is no rich or poor in Christ there is no male or female in Christ there's no slave or free in Christ imagine being in a church like that Imagine in this church, uh, you know, I come along over here and I preach and I go, guys, I just want you to know there's no slave or free. And all the slaves on this side are going, we get set free. And all the slave owners on this side are going, are you saying we have to set them all free? Can you just see how controversial the gospel becomes and how contentious a subject that becomes? So you really, if you're a slave owner, you don't want to be in a church with slaves in case someone preaches that sermon you know uh, you know and, and if you're if you're a slave you want to be in the sermon that keeps preaching there is no slave you know in Christ but what's interesting is nowhere in the New Testament does Paul come out and say slave owners set your slaves free he doesn't say that and, and we wonder like why? why why didn't he just come out and and impose that on there? see what Paul was doing was Paul was trying to change something in the heart of people so he's going this has taken millennia to get to where we are now. Humanity has been practicing slavery for millennia. For us to just come out as a small fledgling church and say, this is wrong, we'd get wiped out ourselves. 
But if we can get the hearts of people to change, and that took a long time, until 1800 years later, it became law in many countries not to have slavery and not to have slaves. And currently in the world that we're living today, it's illegal to keep slaves in every nation on the planet. But slavery still exists. Slavery still exists. I don't know if you knew this, but around the American uh, Revolution time, when slavery, the slavery we see on the National Geographic channels, if you wanted to buy a slave, kind of relative to, to today's money, a slave would cost about a half a million rand. That's how much a slave cost back then. So if you wanted to buy slaves and you had many slaves, you, you had to be very rich. Okay? Anyone want to throw out a guess how much a slave costs today? Average cost of a slave today. If you want to buy a person today, do you know how much it would cost you? Remember, half a million? $1,000? Okay. $5,000 or rand? Dollars? 150 rand. 150 rand is the average price of a slave. Excuse me, 1,500 rand is the average price of a slave. You want to buy a person. Human trafficking is rough. It's rough in our own city. People coming who are thinking they're going to get a job and then their passports and ID books get taken away and they get forced into labor, forced labor. And they can't get out. It's rough today. It was rough back then. And Paul's writing into this. He's writing into this and, and he's writing to the church to tell the church, I need you to change the way you treat people. There's no slave or free, but if you're a slave owner, you need to treat your slaves in a different way. And if you're a slave, you need to treat your master in a different way. And so can you imagine over here, Paul has written this letter and Timothy or whoever's reading this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy gets to this part where he's about to speak to slaves and slave owners. So I don't know how this worked during the time while he was reading this. Did he read the whole thing in one shot? Or did he read different sections that had to do with subjects and then stop and comment a little bit on this letter that he just received from Paul? So let's say, for instance, last week he got to the end of the section just before it. And then he said, guys, next week we, you know, I'm going to read to you what Paul says about slaves and their masters. Right? So the church arrives. Here you are. And it's probably not as big as this. It's probably about this size, maybe. And half of you are slaves, and half of you are not. You're freed people. Okay? You guys are going to be the slaves in the front. Okay? Just because some of you work for the church. So you'll be the, you'll be the slaves in the front. Matt, can you sit on that side for now? No, just joking. And so, 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 so Paul's about to address the slaves. The slaves are sitting there going, we've heard him saying before, there is no slave or free. We know he's going to say something and our masters are going to have to let us go. The masters, they didn't really want to come to church. They go, I won't come to church next week. I've heard there's no slave or free. I know what's going to happen here. We're probably going to have to let those guys go. Better make sure we work them really hard that first. Because you know what? Next week, they're not here. Who does one thing? I'm going to do it by myself. I'm not doing that by myself. And so Timothy maybe reads this. He's quite nervous. Or somebody else is reading it out loud. And it goes something like this. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves. Some of your versions might say bond servant or servant. The original means slave. Can you see in English there's a difference between servant and slave. Right? We, there's different meaning behind that. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves. And all the slaves, are going, the slaves they're all going, yes. Yes. 
All, who, all of you in the frontier, you're slaves. Remember, some of you, you work for believing masters and they let you go to bed early last night so that you could come and worship in church. Some of you are working for unbelieving masters. You had to work until 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning so that you could work in extra time so that you could take off two hours to be in church. Okay, So this is what's going on in your mind. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves, yes, regard their masters, yes, as dirt. I know he's going to say it. I know. As worthy of all honor. How do you feel as slaves? As worthy of all honor. Of all honor. Timothy, are you getting that right? Have you? I mean, you've told us that we need to honor the widows. Remember that. You told us that we have to honor the elders. Do you remember that? Now you're telling us. I mean, I can honor a widow. I can honor an elder, but you're asking me to honor the slave owner. And you just pull me out. What about those guys who are sitting across the, the aisle who are they're, they're employees? They're not, they're not slaves. What about them? Here's what Timothy goes on to next say. So that, why? Why would I have to do this? So that the name of God and the teaching or the faith, the doctrine the teaching may not be reviled it's almost as if paul's writing specifically to you the slaves and he's saying honor your master so the reputation of the faith will not fall into disrepute it's not about your master it's about the faith this life is short and if you're a slave it might be shorter but the reputation of the faith is much greater you may be killed here by your slave master, but in the next life, it's forever with the greatest master of all. And Paul's writing, he's trying to encourage them to realize it is about the reputation of the faith. And so it is for us, whether we're at school, whether we're at work, whether we're in our families, whether wherever we work, live and play, it is about the reputation of the faith. How you live your life, it's about the reputation of the faith. How difficult could it be to be a slave Slave owners at this point are going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that one. We really appreciate that, Paul. Thank you. I hope that they, were remem that they remembered what you've just said. Verse 2, he says, Those who have believing masters, watch this, do not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Because, I mean, you can imagine what's happening over here. You're sitting next to, there's a, a slave sitting next to his slave owner, his master, right next to him. You know, and, 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 and then, you know, we're all worshiping, hallelujah, Jesus, saying the Lord's Prayer together in church on Sunday, but Monday comes. And the master says, hey, Matthew, I need that tree must be cut down. You're like, woohoo, what are you talking about, cut it down? Let's, can I get some help? No, no, you need to do that. Please, man, you know, it's really tight. Yesterday I was at church the whole day. I just need a little bit of help over here. Can you help me cut the tree down? No, no, go cut it down by yourself. Come on, man, just be a little bit compassionate over here. Aren't, you know you know what Paul said to us? We need to be compassionate on one another. You know, no, go and cut the tree down. Come on, man, you know, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. There he is in the midst of them. Can I take a brother with me? No, go and do it. Kind of the same way that sometimes we might treat our bosses. You know, you, he's a Christian, I'm a Christian, I arrived 10 minutes late, why were you late? Hey man, I was having this sweet time with Jesus this morning. 
What, what are you talking about? Sweet time with Jesus. You meant to be at eight o'clock. It's not quarter past eight. I know at a fifteen minute quiet time, just my, my, my hour quiet time just went a bit further into a fifteen minute quiet time. It was just it was amazing. You know how it goes. Yes, I know it how it goes, but I'm trying to run a business here. Yes, but you know what? Jesus is in control. Can you just see what disrespect you put on your boss or what disrespect you could put on the slave owner? And the reason for that is because other people are watching in. So you've now got people who are not believers, they're watching in and they're going, Oh, I also need a little bit of quiet time. <laughs> no, no, that's what I do. I come late tomorrow and I tell the boss, I had some quiet time. The boss is like, oh, that's amazing. You had a quiet time. I say, don't, don't disrespect your master just because he or she is a believer. Because you bring the faith into disrepute in the same way. He says, rather, they must serve all the better. Right, so if, you're, if your master or your boss is a believer, you must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Okay, this is what it means. I, if I'm working for a boss who's a believer, I should work even harder because I know that when that boss makes a profit from my labor, He's able to be more generous to the church. He's able to be more generous to the kingdom. He's able to help more people who are in need. Why? Because I'm working harder over here. Can you see how it just changes our perspective a little bit on what we're doing? You're going like, you know what? My boss, he says he's a Christian. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work so hard so he makes so much money. <laughs> so at the end of the month, he has to tithe more. That's why I'm going to work so hard so that okay has to give more of his money away. And then Paul kind of reverses back and it's like he goes straight to Timothy and he says, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. Yeah, we can have a look at this over here and go, man, this is not the Greco-Roman Empire. You know, I don't think there's any slaves here. I don't think you're sitting next to your slave. And I don't think you're sitting next to your master today. If you are, come forward for prayer afterwards and we will deal with that. But I don't think you are. Many of the commentators who've worked through the Sevier and other passages, one in Ephesians, one in Colossians, that Paul's written on the subject, go, you can take principles out of this straight into the workplace. You don't have to be a slave to respect your master. You can be an employee to respect your boss. And you can take principles and move them across. And that's what we're going to have a look at today. So I just want to ask two questions today as we, as we try and unpack this a little bit. And the, the one question is, why do we work? Or why work? And the other one is how? So the one is why and the other one is how. And it's so important for us to get this as believers. Because for many people, when you come to know the Lord, you're like, man, God will provide I mean, there's that scripture that says, you know, look at the birds of the air. You know, they don't spin and look at the, 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 the flowers of, of the field and, you know, they don't labor. So why do I have to do it? You know, I mean, God's going to, he's going to look after me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let me have a longer quiet time. You know, and so what if I don't have a job? He's going to provide for me anyway. Yeah, and, and so we leave it at that. But why? So then I'm not going to work. But actually, when we look at the scriptures and from this passage, it seems actually we should be working. We should be doing something. Here's the first reason why. Because work is, number one, if, you, if you're taking notes, here's a couple of points. One is work is a divine institution. 
It's something that God ordained. Right in the beginning, watch this. God creates Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1. God creates Adam and Eve. He creates Adam and Eve. He sends them out into the garden. He says, right, you go out into the garden. And uh, in that garden, you need to um, go forth, multiply, and uh, subdue the world. Right? You go work it. You make sure that everything's okay. Go. Do it. Right in the beginning. And then you know what God says. It is very good. Work was included in that. It is very good. Everything I created is very good. Man and woman, very good. Them going out, very good. Them multiplying, very good. Them working, very good. God said we need to work. And there's a reason for this. Because it enables us, number two, to provide for our families. It, 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 that's how we do it. It doesn't just happen. God might provide for you, but what about your family? You know, you're like, oh, well, God, you know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go live out in the stream like the birds of the air. Well, that's okay. Go live outside in the bush like the birds of the air and eat off the trees. And that's fine. But I'm guessing that you living outside there by the stream, eating the berries from the trees is not going to pay school fees. Especially if you have the means to work. God's going, I'm going to give you the strength to do this. It is very good. Go and do it. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. Remember, we got to this a couple of weeks ago. Anyone who does not provide for his own family is worse than a pagan or an unbeliever. Man, some of us, we look, we go, gee, man, I've just, I've lost my job and and I can't provide for my family. Are you saying that I'm now worse than an unbeliever? No. See, this world that we live in is full of sin. And so you go, man, my my, my business is just closed down. It closed down because one of the partners ran away with all the money. And, uh, and so now the business is closed down. Well, that's not your fault. That's somebody else's sin that has had an impact on your life. That doesn't mean you're worse than an unbeliever or a pagan. It means that person's going to be judged for that. God's still got his hand on you. And God has still got, still, his heart still beats for you and, and your family. And so you go, God, would you help us in this time? Would you provide for us in this time? And God goes, I will provide for you. You might not have a job, but I will provide for you. And you're going, well, God, I'm going to keep on looking then. And God, would you provide a job for me? God goes, I will do that. Third one is this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. It says, if you don't work, you don't eat. There's a simple principle in the scriptures. If you don't work, you don't eat. And, and this is important for us to get. Because laziness is something that just creeps in. And God's word is saying that as believers, we shouldn't be lazy. As believers, we should be working. In fact, we should work harder than everybody else because work is God-ordained. And when we work hard, it honors God. And so God goes, hey, look at these guys working really hard over here. And when I work hard, people look in and they go, gee, look at this guy. He's working hard. Look at this lady. She's working hard. And when they discover that we're Christians, they're going, that's amazing. When I notice Christians, they're the guys working hard. It brings honor to God. It honors His name. So what happens if I, if I can't work? Does it mean I, you know, I can't eat? No, no, that's, that's not what it means. It means this. It means that if I'm in a place where I'm needing support, where perhaps I've lost my job and my spouse does not have a job either, and we have no way of earning our income and people are helping us, I need to do something to add value. That's what it means. Perhaps, perhaps it means I, I phone Matt and go, hey, Matt, can, can I, is there anything I can come and do at the church? Is, is it, can I come and clean the windows? Um, and I don't have a job. My wife and I, we're not doing anything. Could we come and maybe prune the avo trees? <laughs> Could we come and clean the mom's room? Can we come and help pack 
um, the, the grocery packs that we give to other, to other people who are in need? Can we, can we come and uh, perhaps pray for people? Can we, can we come and help in any way? Can we come and serve? What you're doing is working. You're adding value. And it's so important to do this because, friends, when we work, it makes us feel productive. It is good. When we work, we feel productive. Men, especially for you. For men, we, we get our identity in what we do. It, it's who we are. And that's why so many times when, as men, we're retrenched or we lose our job, we spiral into depression after that because we start asking ourselves, am I still worth something? I have no job anymore. I have, I have no way of providing for my family anymore. And, and we start to think we are useless and then there's no more hope. That's on the negative side. The positive side of that is this. When I work a good day and I get through what I need to get through, I go home feeling like I've accomplished something. I feel like, man, I've done something. I've been productive. This hasn't been a waste of a day. I've been productive in what I'm doing. So God says, man, that's why it is so good. It's more than just eating it. It builds you up. Number four, I work because the Bible says, I work in order to share with those in need. Ephesians 4 says, let the thief no longer steal, which is kind of good advice if you're writing to a church, you know. I mean, like, what else could he say? To the thieves, make sure you don't steal. No, not you. You guys were slaves. You guys can be thieves. Here, to the thieves, stop stealing from Christians, right? You steal from the other people, but not the Christians. Paul just goes, the thief, no longer steal. We're not starting a separate congregation for you. All right, you're going to be with other people who are worried you will steal from them. So let the thief no longer steal, watch what he says, but let him labor doing honest work, right? So don't labor doing dishonest work. Labor do honest work with your own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. What? Our work, why? So that I can share with those in need. The point of labor for a Christian is I earn income to provide for my family and share with those in need. Not I, prov- I earn an income to provide for my family and then store up wealth. I earn an income to provide for my family and share with those in need. Friends, that's, that's how Christians are meant to live. You go, well, but what do we know about the future? Well, this is what you know about the future. God's there now. He is already there. He's, he's waiting for you to catch up. He's right there. Five, to bring fame to the name of Christ because, number six, it is your mission field. This is how we bring fame to the name of Christ. I want you to imagine this one. I want you to imagine um, in the office, all right, or in the workplace, somebody comes to do an audit of the telephone lines that are being used. Right? So, so wherever you are, it could be the workshop telephone, it could be the warehouse telephone, it could be the office telephone, it could be the, the, the telephone that's on your desk, it could be the cell phone that your company provides, perhaps, I don't know. And so, so here comes the IT guy, who's, uh, he's going to do the audit, and so he takes everybody's telephone, and, and he checks everybody's telephone, and he sees what people are spending their time on. And he sits down with the boss of the company. He, this is the big boss, okay? It's the, the chief executive officer of the company, the big guy. He flew in from Europe just for this meeting. And he says, tell me about it. Notice these people over here have got high usage. The guy says, yes, they've got high usage. These guys, not high usage. Yep, not high usage. These guys obviously not doing their job. 
actually, the, these guys are doing their job. They're both doing their job. These guys who got low usage, they're doing their job just as well. He says, well, that's odd. Why, why would that be? I mean, they're not making, they're not cold calling anybody. They're not, he says, well, this is what I found. When I drilled into these guys with high usage, they're phoning home all the time. They're phoning their, their spouses on their cell phones all the time. They're phoning their kids. They're phoning their friends and family in other countries. That's why their usage is so high. Yes, they are phoning for customers, the same as everybody else. But some people are making calls way beyond what they should be making. Guy goes, well, okay. Let's, uh, let's just see. Who's that person over there? Tell me that. They don't phone. Have they got no family? And he says, no, actually, Matt does have family um, abroad. Um, I, know that, that, I know that guy. I know Matt Johnson. He's got, he's got family in Australia, and he's got family in, in America. Oscar goes, well, that's odd. Does he not phone that family? He says, no, actually, he doesn't. Oh, right. I wonder why. He says, right, let's take a look at Mark. He says, what about this guy, Mark Wood? Hey, he's got family. Yeah, I don't know. He's also got family overseas. But he doesn't make those calls either. He says, well, why do these two guys not make calls overseas to phone their family? But the other people do. He says, look, I don't know. But what I do know is those two guys, they go to the church down the road and they're quite active in their faith. So the CEO, he's a really clever guy. He goes, these other guys who are not making so many phone calls, you think they could have that in common as well? The IT guy goes, well, let's see. He says, well, I know that guy goes to church with them. And that guy goes to church with them as well. And actually, that guy, was, well, that guy goes to church with me. <laughs> that guy, actually, actually, sir, you're right. These guys who are not abusing the phone, they're Christians. Later on, he says, let's see data usage. You know, I want to see data usage. So, so let's see. Oh, look at that. These guys, they arrive at 8 o'clock. Their data usage spikes. You know why it spikes? Because they're on Facebook and Pinterest and WhatsApp and all these things. They're, 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 just, they're checking out the news channels. They're watching videos on the internet. But these guys who are Christians, they're not. That's because as Christians, we should be setting a great example to those who we work for. This brings fame to the name of Christ. And this extends our mission field. That our bosses and those that we work with, when they look at us and they look at our productivity, they go, man, these guys over here, they do a better job than everybody else. So now we know why we work. Let me wrap up a couple of points on, on how we do this. Here's the how. When you tie into 1 Timothy, that we've just had a look at now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then two other texts, you could go home and read them later. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25. Paul is talking to the people about how they should be treating slaves. In this section, he tells the slaves to obey their masters. Not only when their masters see them, but work hard and work diligently and serve them. Then he says to the masters, don't be harsh with these people. Don't treat them badly. Pay, pay those who work for you an honest wage. Pay them well when we reflect back to where we are I need to ask ourselves that question are we paying those who work for us well because the Bible says we should a couple of points that, that we can have a look at to just see how we should work we should work obediently number one when we're told to do something we're given a task do it obediently do it completely I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've ever had oversight or you've had to uh, supervise a group of people and you ask them to do a job and they obediently do the job, but they don't complete it. 
And then you have to come back and you have to put the pieces back together to complete it. Well, the Lord would say to us, do it well. Obey your, your master, your boss. Do it completely. Do it respectfully. Now, you might say, Matt, you don't, sorry, you don't work for my boss. You don't know how disrespectful this guy is or this woman is. Yes, I know that. But the reason why we respect those who are over us is not because of who they are. It's because of who's over them. Because ultimately, we're doing it for Jesus. And so I respect him because God said, you respect him until he becomes respect worthy. Same as wives. We res wives, respect your husbands. Some of your husbands might not be respect worthy. Sometimes as men, we're not. But the Bible says, respect them until they become respect worthy. Because that, because that honors God. Eagerly. What about serving eagerly? Man, I just, I want to help you. I want to do my very best. Serve with excellence. I'm not going to do a, you know, kind of low-level job. I'm going to do the best I can. Diligently. I'm just going to keep on doing it. I'm going to try and improve today, and I'm going to try and improve tomorrow, and I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to keep on doing it. No matter how hard it is, I'm just going to keep on doing it. Humbly. Humbly. And I would say this, that we flip it around. This is not just for employees. This is for employers. This is not only for those being managed. This is also for those who are managing. We need a little bit more humility in the workplace. It means that perhaps you need to be going and cleaning up the kitchen when it's not your job. Or maybe you should be the one who cleans the toilet when it's not your job. Or maybe you should bring tea and coffee to those who work for you instead of expecting them to bring it for you. That brings honor to God and it shows humility and shows service. But let's do it spiritually with eternity in mind. Spiritually with eternity in mind it just simply means this. That at the end of the day, if you're a believer, every stitch of work that you do, you're doing it for Christ. And he's the one who will reward you one day. Sure, you might have missed uh, the bonus this last year. Perhaps there was someone else in the office who stole your idea. Perhaps there was someone else who's a sales rep who heard about your lead and got there before you. And you look like you're not doing your job. Well, your boss might think you're not doing your job, but Jesus does. And he says, I will reward you for that. I will reward you. I see what you did. I know that you've been shortchanged, but don't worry. You were shortchanged, I will bring up the next. So I'll ask you this question. Over the next couple of weeks, what would you focus in on? Obedience, respect, completing the job, eagerness, excellence, or what about diligence and humility or spiritually with the end in mind? some of you you're perhaps in a place where you're unemployed and you you need a job and i have this picture in mind the bible says that as believers uh, faith all right is a shield and it protects us now, i don't know if you ever read those asterix comics when you were younger anybody ever read asterix remember asterix and obelix okay there's four of us here okay the rest of us you saw the hands go up ask them do you remember the asterix and obelix comics the, the Roman soldiers would be marching down it like a forest road with their shields and then their, their spears and they're marching down the road. And on the other side of the road, they can't see Asterix and Obelix walking down the road. Obelix just kind of rolling along. 
And, and then Asterix is like, oh, we've got some Romans coming. And Obelix is going, oh, Asterix, that's great. Asterix has a little bit of sip of his magic potion. And, uh, and Obelix takes him into like, he rolls him into a little ball. The, the Roman soldiers, they see, oh my goodness, this is Asterix and Obelix. And what do they do? They pull together and they put the shields in front of them, next to them, and on top. Okay? This actually, it did happen. It was called a tortoise formation that the Roman army used to, they used to get themselves into. And they're all, they got their spears out in the front and Obelix takes Asterix and he bowls him down, down this little forest road. And, and next minute, you just see Roman soldiers, spears, swords, shields, just flying like a bunch of skittles at the end of a bowling lane. And that's not what I want you to think about. But what I want you to think about is this. You know that tortoise formation? I believe that sometimes as a church, we can form a formation of faith like that around someone who just is in a place where faith is low. They're just in a place where they're in need and we can come around them. They're in a place where they are vulnerable and we can come around them. They're in a place where they're unemployed. They're in a place where they lack. And we can take them and we can pull them in with us and say, you come in here. You might not even have a shield at the moment, but we do. And so we're going to put our shields up. And when the enemy comes to bring attack on you, we're going to be the ones who stand strong for you. We are going to pray for you. We are going to provide for you. We are going to help you until God comes through. And guess what? By us doing that, that's how God comes through. And so we come through as a church for those who are unemployed. For those who are on pension. And we need you. We need you. The church needs you. The kingdom needs you. This church needs you. You come to, come to Matt over here, come to Mzamo and Mark and just go, okay, so I'm on pension. Matt said I'm on, what, what, what do I do? All right, we need people like you to care for, pray for, help, sort out so that we can give more. We need you. Otherwise, we just think we, we're only useful until we finished work, life. And after that, we're useless. The Bible says no, it's not like that. It's not like that. You have worth. For all of us, Jesus, remember the slaves? Imagine, this is what Jesus said. If any of you are weary and heavy laden, and you are slaves, you're going, yes, that's me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And the slaves are like, okay. I worked until one o'clock last night. I physically understand this, and I intellectually get it, and spiritually I'm connecting with it. I need rest. And then Jesus says this crazy thing. Take my yoke on you. You're like, what? I'm jumping from one slave master to another slave master? We see Paul will write later on in Romans. He'll write this. You're a slave to the one you obey. If you will bow your knee to Jesus, you take his yoke on you. He says it is gentle and it is easy. Let's bow heads. Father, this morning, as we uh, have worshipped you, as we've looked to your word, and we've uh, thought much of the application of that word. God, there may be those here who just need, they need to come before you again, bow their knee before you and just say, Jesus, would you take, I want your yoke on me. I don't want this, the burden of, 
of, of sin and self-provision and self, self-worth and pride. And I don't want that. But I want, I want you. Jesus, I want to bow my knee to you. Jesus, I have a boss who is a harsh person. God, would you strengthen me that I would be able to serve that person and, and treat them with worth. God, in my business, there's a culture of taking, stealing time and stealing, perhaps even um, stealing stock. It, it just happens. God, I've done that. Would you forgive me? I don't want to do that anymore. Help me to honor you that your fame would be spread in my warehouse, office, business for your glory. And just in a moment, would you just, would you say, God, God, this is what I need. This is where I'm at. This is the one thing that you've been saying to me today. And just name it before him. Before you go, just name it before him. If you have never bowed your knee before Jesus, I want to invite you after the service, would you, while everyone else is having some coffee, would you come, just come to the front, let us pray with you. Let us show you how to bow your knee before Jesus and just say, Jesus, I want to take your yoke on me. I'd rather be a slave of Jesus than a slave of sin. So Father, wherever we go next week, where we work, live and play, help us to bring honor to your name in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said amen. Amen.